Well, good morning, church. It's so good to have everyone here this morning. What a blessing just to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to let our kids uh, head off this, uh, at this time, head off to their ministry class. So, elementary through grade four, you can make your way to the right through those double doors. And preschoolers, you can make your way to the left. Thank you, kids, so much for worshiping with us this morning. invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We're working our way through this important letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And my theme for today is Kingdom Workers. After my message, I'll have a short time for Ministry Spotlight. Butch and Vicki Lynn Klein are going to take a couple minutes and share with us about what God is doing in our senior adult ministry and also share with you ways that you can be involved with it. Well, when we think of kingdom workers, one of the greatest of all time, was the Apostle Paul. He obviously took the gospel all throughout the Roman Empire. He was a man who God used to, to pioneer uh, new ministries and, and go into cities and towns and villages and start churches. He was also uh, an incredible apologist understood the Old Testament, understood Christ and the gospel and the new covenant and church. He would often debate the philosophers of the day. He was incredibly gifted in teaching. He was known for mentoring next generation leaders. God accomplished great and mighty things through the Apostle Paul. But imagine with me if Paul were to apply to a modern-day mission board. Do you think he would be accepted? Well, here's a fictional letter of response to Paul's application to be a modern-day missionary. Dear Paul, We have to be very careful in choosing our missionaries, and our missions board has reviewed your application. We have decided it would be unwise to send you to a foreign field for the following reasons. Number one, it's come to our attention that you do secular work on the side. We do not feel that making tents and full-time ministry go well together. It seems that you should trust the Lord for your income. Number two, you seem to be very confrontational. We learned you oppose Dr. Simon Peter 
in a public meeting. And as you know, he is a very esteemed minister in our denomination. Number three, we discovered you spent three years in Arabia in higher education. And unfortunately, that school is not on our approved list of colleges. Number four, we also see that you have a jail record. <laughs> Our mission board values civic responsibility, and so hiring you could taint our reputation. And lastly, number five, we have heard that you preach way too long. <laughs> One of your sermons lasted late into the night, and a young man drifted off to sleep and fell out of the window. We really expect much better of our public speakers, speakers who can keep the audience engaged and entertained. For these reasons, we cannot allow you to serve on the mission field. Our advice to you is this, find a church with a Sunday school program and offer your services as a teacher. Well, this illustration is fictional, and yet there is an element of truth in it. There are times that we think we know which kingdom workers will serve most effectively or the ones that will be successful and the ones that will not. We tend to think that we have it all figured out. We we have our formulas, we have our applications, we have our education, we have our training, and we think we know who will succeed and who won't. But God is the one who hands out the kingdom assignments. God is the one who called Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, even though Moses had a very checkered past. God is the one who called David to be the king who followed King Saul. And the prophet Samuel and David's father and David's family all overlooked David, and they all thought that it would be one of David's brothers who would be the next king. But God is the one who called David. God is also the one who called Paul to take the gospel to the Roman Empire, even though he had previously persecuted the church. And so God is the one who hands out the kingdom assignments. At the same time, it's our responsibility to do what God is calling us to do. God has given us this great privilege to be a worker in His kingdom. God didn't call the angels to do it. God didn't call uh, a few highly gifted people to do it. God didn't say that if you're in the age bracket of 20 to 40, you're in, I'm calling you to work. No, God calls each one of us. Every single follower of Christ 
regardless of your age, regardless of your occupation, your career, regardless of your past, every one of us, God calls to be a kingdom worker. We're all about the ministry of the gospel. We're all about making disciples. I want us to take a look at our text here, Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. We'll be looking at these verses through chapter 2, verse 5. And it's really a text where Paul is referencing his work in the kingdom of God. And I believe there's some principles that apply to all of us today and that we can be the most effective in our kingdom work. Please follow along. Start in verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, meaning Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As I study this text, I believe there are principles for each one of us as kingdom workers. And I want to share these with you this morning. Principle number one, kingdom work can be hard, but the worker demonstrates an attitude of joy. Note the times Paul uses the word toil and struggle in this passage. 
These words were used to describe the athletes at the Olympic Games, particularly in the events of running and wrestling. These athletes would give every ounce of energy that they had. They would put it all on the line. They would hold nothing back. They would keep going when they thought they had nothing left to give. And it was the same approach that the Apostle Paul had toward kingdom ministry. He gave everything he had. He labored. He toiled. He worked hard, very, very hard. Doesn't matter what your role is in the kingdom of God or what your occupation is. I know that you give everything. You work very, very hard. I remember as a dairy farmer, those long days in the summer when we would bale a couple thousand bales of hay and, you know, at the end of that, I just drenched with sweat and and physically exhausted. And then yet knowing that I had all the evening milking and the, and the chores and the feeding and the cleaning and everything to do yet, and by the time I was finished, just collapse into bed at night. Absolute physical exhaustion. And even now, as a pastor, I may not experience the same physical exhaustion, but there are days through mental and intellectual and emotional and spiritual work that I am absolutely exhausted. And I know the same is for you. Many of you give hard work for the kingdom of God. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. You hold nothing back. You're like that athlete that puts it all on the line. Kingdom work can be hard. But we're also, in the midst of the hard work, called to demonstrate an attitude of joy. Know what Paul says in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is a church. There's several things I want to comment in regards to this verse because it, it seems um, a little confusing I want to make sure that there's no misunderstanding because it almost seems like Paul is saying that suffering is necessary in order to fulfill what was lacking in Christ's afflictions and almost to the point that, that what Jesus suffered wasn't enough, that somehow now all of his followers have to suffer to, to, to make it complete, and that's not at all what Paul is saying. Jesus' sufferings on the cross 
were more than sufficient. There's nothing that we have to do to add to that or or to somehow make it complete. Christ suffered everything that needed to be suffered, and He did it willingly, and He did it out of His love for you and for me. What Paul is getting at in this verse is that his sufferings are validated by God. And the reason I say this because of what was going on at Colossae in regards to the false teachers who had infiltrated the church. These false teachers were extremely negative towards the Apostle Paul. In fact, they often claimed that he was not a true apostle of God. They were the true apostles. Paul was not. And their reasoning went like this. Well, Paul, if you would really, really be a true apostle, you would not experience all of these hardships and all of these sufferings because, you know, God would never let a true apostle go to prison. God would never, ever let a true apostle end up shipwrecked. God would never let a true apostle face a shortage of food. God would never let these things happen to you, Paul, if you were really called by Him. You really, Paul, are a fake apostle, and we are the true ones. That was really the message that they were teaching in Colossae and other places. We could say that there were a lot of similarities to what they were saying and to what our modern-day prosperity gospel teachers advocate. So really, in verse 24, Paul is defending his apostleship. He is defending his sufferings. He is saying, look, Jesus Christ suffered, and when Jesus suffered, He would often tell His disciples, oh, by the way, just as the world hates me, the world's going to hate you also. Just as the world opposes me, the world's going to oppose you. Just as I have experienced suffering, you are going to experience hardship and suffering because they are against me, Christ, the gospel. And so, in verse 24, Paul is saying, look, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the sufferings that I have to endure because my sufferings are no different than Jesus, and I'm going to count it worthy to suffer in the same way that He did. But in the midst of all of this, I am going to have an attitude of joy. I'm going to let joy permeate my being and my presence and everywhere I go. That joy is going to be a fragrant offering to the Lord. Here's the truth for today. God does not bubble wrap 
His kingdom workers. God doesn't stop all the hardship and all the suffering. God allows His kingdom workers to go through it. And God promises to be with us every minute, every second, and He promises to accomplish His purpose through the hardship. And so, our attitude should be the same as that of Paul, an attitude of joy. Principle number two, the kingdom worker's message is for all people at all times and in all places. One of the challenges that Paul faced in his ministry was this bringing together Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Again, this was now the new covenant. The old covenant was finished. When Christ died on the cross, the curtain in the temple which separated the Holy of Holies from the other part of the temple that was ripped in two from top to bottom, meaning now everyone had access to God. It also meant no more sacrifices, no more killing of animals, no more festivals. We're now in the era of the new covenant, and under the new covenant, it's now Jew and Gentile alike. Old covenant, Gentiles were separate from Jews. Think even of the, the temple. The temple, very, very Jewish, and yet there was a court for the Gentiles. And that was really only as far as any Gentile could go. Even if that Gentile was a worshiper of the one true God. They could only stay in the court of the Gentiles. There was always that separation. But under the new covenant, everything changed. And Jewish believers and Gentile believers were now one in Christ. The church, no longer any separations Jew and Gentile believers were now brothers and sisters in the Lord. Paul uses the word mystery in verses 25 through 27. And what that word mystery refers to is the era of the new covenant. That God was now extending His kingdom to all Gentile believers. What this means for us today is that the gospel of Jesus is for all people. It is for every man, every woman, every child. It is for everyone in every nation, every tribe, every language. It is for everyone in every generation. And as a kingdom worker, we need to be about getting the gospel to everyone. We need to be about supporting missionaries. We need to be about supporting Bible translation into the native languages of people. We need to be about advancing the gospel in, in our short-term mission trips. We need to be about sharing the gospel in our, in our community days that we have. 
We need to be about sharing the gospel with our coworkers and our neighbors. We need to have those gospel conversations with strangers, with friends. The kingdom worker is all about getting the gospel message to the world. Principle number three, the kingdom worker's goal is moving people toward maturity in Christ. And we see this in verse 28 where Paul says that we proclaim Christ. We, we warn everyone and we teach everyone. And the goal is to present everyone to God in that place of full Christian maturity. We know that helping people begin in their relationship with Christ. We know that's the first step, receiving the gift, the free gift of of salvation. That's where it all begins. But there's more. There's more to it. There's baptism. There's spiritual growth. There's discipleship. There's growing in faith. There's, there's equipping for ministry and for kingdom work. That person then goes and reaches someone, discipling him or her. And then that person goes and reaches someone and disciples him or her. And you have really this process of multiplication And that's really God's intent for us as kingdom workers. We are continually about reaching and discipling others for Jesus. We're about moving people toward maturity in Christ so they can go and be about the multiplication process. Number four, kingdom workers do their part but the greatest power at work is God's. And we see this in verse 29. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. I've preached this particular passage um, before in my ministry, and I know that I have emphasized that aspect of of our work, our toil, our struggle. And yes, we do. We, We put it all on the line. We hold nothing back. But I really, for today, I want to so zero in on this on this part that talks about the power of God that is at work within us. It's not our power. It is His power. His energy, His strength working through us. We can't make any spiritual thing happen. It's all God. It's all the Holy Spirit. And to help illustrate this, I've asked Travis Cruz to kind of do an archery demonstration. So, Travis, if you want to make your way up here, please. Please. 
I think uh, this is a, a good way to illustrate the power of God that is at work. Because when it comes to archery, when it comes to using a bow and arrow, there is some part that does fall on the archer, the one who is doing the shooting. But the greatest aspect of this is the bow itself and the bow that is flinging that arrow to the target. So, um, Travis, first of all, thank you. Thank you for being up here. Love that bow. That is, that is really impressive. Um, you, you've used this before, right? I've used it before. How many kills do you have with this bow? I have probably shot... I'll let you I've use probably it. shot at least a deer a year since I was probably 16. Okay, cool. So we know it's a, it's a, it's a good bow and it works. Um, for those of us that maybe aren't as um, familiar with hunting and, and, and bow and arrows, um, talk about how this works from your perspective as the one that's doing the shooting. What, what do you have to do with all of this? Yeah, so uh, the first thing is technique. Um, I mentioned earlier that I've seen many very strong men grab a bow and attempt to draw it back and are unable to. And it really has nothing to do with strength. It has more to do with uh, your technique. So you have to have the technique. Um, consistency is another thing. Um, you must, uh, every time you draw it back and, and release, you have to do it the same way. Just like uh, a free throw, somebody shooting a free throw, they have a little technique that they do every single time, and they, they do that consistently. Um, and then the last thing is practice. It takes a lot of practice. And I've only shot about six times since November, so, yeah, or six arrows since November. So we're good. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, so I asked Travis to shoot his, his bow and arrow up here. So we have over here the target. This, this is an official target from Cabela's. It's the real deal. So, got this here. Now, I'm trusting Travis to hit the target and not hit the wall. Um, if he hits the wall, he's got to fix it. I see, you, Eric, you moved your guitar. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to hold it. <laughs> and neither am I going to put an apple on my head. And he's going to shoot the apple. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand out of the way here. Is this at the right angle for you, Trev? That'll work? Okay. No, I'm just standing way back here is where I'm standing. All right. So, again, what I really want you to see uh, as, as Travis does this demonstration, the, the power, the power that comes from this bow, because that's really what I want you to go home with today, the power that is in that bow represents the power of God working through us as kingdom workers. Because it's not us. It is not our power. We don't do it. It's all God. And so, watch this bow as Travis shoots the arrow. Nice. Woo! Bullseye almost there. Nice job. Thank you, Travis. Again, that, that arrow probably at a speed of 150 miles an hour, give or take a little. Um, again, 
Nothing, you can't do that with human strength. The same is true with us as kingdom workers. It's all the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. We do our part. We do our part. But the greatest, greatest power at work is God. Moving on, number five, principle five. Kingdom workers have a high view of Jesus and champion His greatness in everything. We see this in in verses 2 and 3. Paul is highlighting uh, that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are all found in Christ. And I go back to the verses that we looked at last Sunday that whole section on the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. And that's really what Paul is championing in this whole letter. Paul is saying, look, Jesus is far more than a good teacher. Jesus is far more than an influencer and a leader. Paul is saying, as a kingdom worker, We need to have this high, exalted view of Jesus Christ. And we need to be speaking and proclaiming and championing the greatness of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus sits on the throne of heaven. That Jesus is eternal in his nature. That Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. That Jesus is in charge He rules and reigns over the universe. That all of creation, every molecule, every atom is held together by Jesus Christ alone. That Jesus is the one who rescues us from darkness. Jesus is the one who raises us to new life. Jesus is the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Jesus is for us and not against us. Jesus is the one who forgives us our sins over and over again. Jesus is the one who fights alongside us in our spiritual battles. Jesus is the one who is worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our glory, all of our honor. Jesus Christ is coming again to this earth. He will rapture the church out of this sinful, wretched world. And Jesus will destroy our enemy, Satan, with literally the breath of his mouth. And Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever. As kingdom workers, we hold high and exalt Jesus Christ. We have that high, eternal view, and we champion His greatness in everything. We've been talking about being a kingdom worker, 
And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has called every single one of you to be a worker in His kingdom. Your work will look different than mine. Mine will be different than yours. But we are working in the same fields, and we are working for the same goal. We are harvesting the fields because they are ripe and ready. There's never a shortage of work to do for the kingdom of God. There is always more work than there is workers. That's why Jesus asks us to pray to raise up workers for the harvest field. And because there is always more work than workers, there should never be a spirit of competition among churches or among ministries. There is far more to do than what any one church or one ministry can do. No one can do it all. It's impossible. The fields are ripe and ready. Kingdom workers are desperately needed. So let's get our work boots on. Let's get our work gloves on. Let's make sure we have our tool belt strapped around our waist. Let's be kingdom workers. Let's not be afraid to get our hands dirty or our clothes dirty. Let's work hard. But above all, let's depend on the power of God because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will bring about kingdom advancement and transformation in the lives of people. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, your word to us this morning. And I pray right now for anyone here who might be in a place of discouragement. They, they just have been working so hard, so diligently, and yet they, they may not be seeing the, the fruit of their labors like they had envisioned. And so I pray, Spirit of God, that you would bring encouragement to them. You'd give them a, a fresh filling of your spirit. You'd give them a fresh vision for the kingdom work that you're calling them to do. Encourage them, God, and keep them going. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who, who might be um, sensing um, a nudge or, or, or a tug on their heart from you, calling them to do a, a very specific ministry, God, I pray that they would have the courage to respond, the, the courage to step out in faith. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that might be uh, sensing may, maybe some conviction, knowing that this is something that they've always thought that they need to do, but they just really haven't yet stepped forward, God, I pray that you would continue to call them and May they respond in faithfulness and obedience to you. God, I pray that we would work sacrificially, work tirelessly for your kingdom. 
But God, I pray that we wouldn't lay all of that on ourselves, but God, that we would simply rest knowing that you, God, are the one that works through us. It's your power, your might, your strength. It's not us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you will do in the weeks and months ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at PMC, we have a lot of ministries that are very fruitful, very effective, and those happen because of you. Preschool ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry, adult ministries, men's ministry, women's ministry, and the list goes on and on. But for this morning, 